Good morning. What a fantastic spirit of worship. Thank you so much to Zoe and the team for leading us. You know, anything I say from here on out is just icing on the cake, right? Because if we get what we just sang about, if we really believe in our hearts and live our lives like we are what God says we are instead of what the world says we are or sometimes what we say we are, it'll revolutionize your life. Your spirit will come alive like never before. And you can get close and intimate with the God who is the God of miracles, who wants better for you than you want for yourself. Do you believe that? It's hard to believe sometimes, isn't it? And we can think of some pretty good things for ourselves. But God wants even better than that. Praise him. This morning we're going to continue looking at our series Perfectly One. And if you were with us last week, you remember I told you this was a two-part teaching. So today we're going to go into part two, and we're going to continue looking at this truth. If we are to be perfectly one, we need to be growing together for the good of the church and for the good of the gospel. Alex started the series off a couple of weeks ago telling us that we need to be praying together, and today we're going to look closer at what it means to be growing together. And growth really is about two sides of the same coin, and that means growing in our personal faith, our personal relationship with Jesus, but also growing together in our corporate life, our life as a church, our faith combined. The process of this growth that we're talking about is what we mean when we use the term spiritual formation. And there's probably been no greater teacher of spiritual formation than a gentleman by the name of Dallas Willard. If you've never heard of him or read any of his works, I highly encourage you to do so. And Dallas Willard says this. He says, everyone receives spiritual formation just as everyone gets an education. The only question is whether it's a good one or a bad one. When you think about your life, the important lessons that you've learned, did they come in a classroom or did they come in everyday walk? Probably a mixture of both, right? And I just am so grateful for those of you, I know we have many in our church that are actually in the field of education, and I thank you because it's often a thankless job, and I just want to recognize you. I've had some great teachers in my life that motivated me and helped me grow. But probably more of the lessons that are deeply seated in me come from making mistakes, come from trying my way and finding out that my way doesn't necessarily work. And so we get an education just by living, don't we? Well, we also get spiritual formation just by living because every single one of us was created with a spirit, and there are many spirits in the world that compete to become primary in our hearts and in our souls. And the question is, are we going to allow good spiritual formation, meaning the Jesus way, or do we allow the spirit of the age, which is so many things, consumerism, materialism, selfishness, are we going to allow that to have us? See, the really good news, if you were, again, last week, remember this, that God, by his divine power, as Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1.3, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for a godly life. Everything we need, we have already received. We've received all of this, it says, by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself, 
by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. You know what this is saying? Peter's telling us that the better we know God through Jesus, the more his grace will be at work in our lives. What a great promise. God is faithful to us, always, everywhere. But he also expects us to be faithful to him as well. So when we look a little further in Peter's letter, in chapter 3, verse 18, he says this to us. He says, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You must. If you get nothing else that I say here today, get that in your spirits as you leave. The fact that you must grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. So you have a paper, index card, and a pen, pencil on your chair and what I'd like you to do right now is just simply write at the top of that, I must grow. I must grow. If you don't have one, there's some extras on the front row. Somebody will be happy to get it into your hands. I must grow. Why does Peter say this? Why does he exhort us to the fact that we can't play around with our spiritual lives. We can't just passively sit back and expect that we are going to grow spiritually. He tells us there's something that we must do. Well, it's simply because of this. There is no neutrality in spiritual life. You are either growing in your spiritual life or you are dying in your spiritual life. Because think of this for a second. Think about who's telling us this. Think about Peter. Peter gets the opportunity to walk with Jesus for three years, hear everything Jesus teaches. In fact, he's invited into the inner circle of Peter, James, and John, where he gets some extra special training and gets to be a participant in some very amazing and intimate opportunities of ministry. And Peter is so convinced that he's getting this and understands everything that Jesus is doing that when Jesus finally gets around to saying, well, guess what? I'm going to go to the cross and die. Peter says, no way, Lord. And then later on, when Jesus tells him that you're all going to scatter, Peter's the first one to say, not me, Lord. I would never deny you. And yet what happens? Before the... Rooster crows three times, he denies that he knows him. Spiritual growth requires spiritual formation. Now, the great story is that Peter gets redeemed, right? Peter winds up being forgiven. He winds up being restored after Jesus' resurrection. But think about another disciple who walked three years with Jesus who saw him do the miracles, who heard his teaching, who probably convinced himself that he was where he needed to be spiritually. That guy we call Judas. And when his moment of crisis came, when Jesus didn't turn out to be who he thought Jesus was supposed to be, he crumbled and winds up hanging himself. So when Peter tells us that we must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, it would make sense for us to listen, wouldn't it? And to bear this lesson in our hearts. When I hear that kind of a exhortation, because I don't think it's a command, I think Peter's just trying to give us some wisdom. And so when I hear that, three questions come to my mind. The first is, do I understand what he means? 
Do I understand what he's actually saying here? Secondly, do I know how to go about it? What's the process look like and how do I engage in the process? Those are the two things that I want to cover in the rest of my teaching through this morning and hopefully help us understand and figure out a plan for our lives so that we can grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. But the third question is actually the most important question, and that's this. Do I want to grow? Do I want to grow? It's the most important question because the desire to grow is the one thing no one else can give you. See, in, in church leadership, Alex and I can help you as pastors with the how-to by providing resources and counsel and all of those things. We can provide the how-to, but we cannot provide you, and no one else can provide you with the want-to. That's on you. My prayer is the words that we just sang, the words that hopefully you'll be encouraged by as I teach this morning, will build a desire, will give you the want to, because God already has given us everything we need. We just have to apply it if we want to. So let's jump into those questions. Do I understand what Peter means when he says that we must grow in grace? Well, what is grace? Grace is a theological term that is kind of leaked over into our culture and can be somewhat confusing at times. But I would tell you that grace is this. Grace is defined as everything that God does in your life and through your life. Everything he does in you and everything he does through you. So we can grow in grace by learning to do a couple of things. The first is trusting God's goodness. Trust that what we just sang is true. God knows better than we do. And if we can trust that and believe that and live like that, then grace begins to grow in our lives. The flow of God begins to grow and become more powerful and more impactful in us and through us. Secondly, we have to make ourselves available to God. This is probably the harder one in our day and time because we're so busy. Drawing near to God through spiritual practices. Drawing near to God by making time to be with God, to learn about God, to know God. Again, allows grace to begin flowing in greater and greater measure. And then lastly, following the leading of the Holy Spirit. God's means of application of his grace in our lives is through the spirit that Jesus promised he gives to everyone who comes to him believing. Everyone who pledges allegiance to Jesus receives the Holy Spirit. This is how all of that divine life that God has placed in us comes to the surface. It's how it gets worked out in our lives as we learn to train ourselves to hear the Holy Spirit and obey the Holy Spirit. Now, you got to be prepared for this because sometimes the Holy Spirit will ask you to do things that seem absolutely crazy, right? It's called the book of Acts. <laughs> you can encourage yourself by going back there and seeing how a people went from a group that was frightened and scared in an upper room to ultimately overturning the whole Roman Empire. So if we want to make an impact in our lives, 
and through our lives and through our church, then we have to be spirit-led people. And we all learn to do that at a different pace and in different ways, but we understand that's what God's desire for us is. See, God gives grace generously, Scripture tells us. But it says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. The person who thinks he already knows all about God, the person who thinks they've got it all figured out, the person who feels like they've arrived at the peak of their spiritual life, that's the kind of pride God is opposing. And let me tell you, you don't want God in opposition. You want God on your side, or rather, you want to be on God's side. Because it says he gives grace to the humble. So let's be humble people. And what does Peter mean when he says knowledge of Jesus? That we must grow in our knowledge of Jesus. It's simply our understanding of who he is. It's simply our comprehension of both his character and his conduct. What he did, what he calls us to do. So obviously the best way to grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ is first by studying him. Study his life. Study his teachings. Obviously that comes primarily through scripture. Secondly, it's about setting a course of imitating his example. He showed us how he wants us to live. You know, the thing that Jesus represents best to us is what human life is supposed to look like, what really being a human is all about, how we live our lives, how we live in relationship, how we live in relationship with the Father and each other. And so we need to, lastly, engage in a dynamic relationship with him because he's alive. (laughs) We just sang about the resurrection. Jesus is not a historical character. He is the Son of God at the right hand of the Father today making intercession for us. And he wants to have a real and dynamic relationship with each of us. In fact, in that same prayer that we draw the theme for this series perfectly one from John 17, Jesus actually defines eternal life for us. So if you ever wonder what eternal life is, Jesus says this in John 17, 3. He says, the way to eternal life is to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you have sent to earth. So growing in the knowledge of Jesus is actually living out more and more what we call eternal life. It isn't what happens after we die. It's what happens right here, right now. So that gives you some understanding of what Peter's talking about. The next question is, how do we grow? Well, we grow again through this practice of spiritual disciplines. We grow through the conditioning of our spiritual lives, both in our private lives, again, and in our church life. I used the illustration last week about going to the gym. So we're another week into our resolution. Still holding tight? (laughs) Hope so. But you know what? I think you'd all agree with me clearly that we do better in growing or changing or transforming or whatever word it is you want to use. We do better with the help of a personal trainer or a coach, don't we? Having somebody walk the journey with us and help us and encourage us is so important to actually achieving success, whether you're talking about transforming your body or you're talking about transforming your spirit. And that's why when we looked at Ephesians 4 last week, we talked about the idea that God has given the church leadership 
to equip God's people for works of service and to build up the church, the body of Christ, with the goal of us maturing and becoming unified in our knowledge of God's Son. And the standard, it says, is to be full and completely like Jesus. So I don't know about you, but I've got a long way yet to go. I'm grateful for what God's done in my life. I'm grateful I'm not the same person I was when I came to faith 26, 27 years ago. But I also know that I've got a ways to go. And I know that I need somebody to help me get there. The Holy Spirit is within me and wants to guide me. But like the little story of the girl who cried out in the night in the storm for her parents to come in and parents from the other room were tired and said, just pray to Jesus. And the little girl says, but I need Jesus with skin on. Sometimes we just need Jesus with skin on. We need to be that for each other. Because the purpose of the unity and the maturity that God's looking for in our lives is this, so that together we can become a healthy and growing church that is full of love, so that the community around us can experience the love of Jesus through us and can come to know that he is real and that he is their Savior just as he is our Savior. Dallas Willard goes on to say this. He says, Our churches will be centers of spiritual formation only as they understand Christ's likeness and communicate it to individuals through teaching and example in a convincing and supportive fashion. So that's what we're aiming at. That's what the whole idea of perfectly one for this year's focus is all about. And that's what we in leadership are dedicated to being. That kind of a church here for you so that we can be here for the community that God's planted us in. Amen? So there's four primary areas of focus in spiritual formation that I want to go through quickly this morning. And those are this, character, creativity, connection, and compassion. Okay, so let's dive in. Character. What do I mean by character? Character is about becoming like Jesus. It's the intersection of identity and imitation. So when you decide, yes, I do want to become like Jesus, that is the goal of my spiritual life, then we begin again to hold his example up before us understanding that this is completely God's will. Eugene Peterson in his message translation says, God decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. So your spiritual life is the life of Jesus living through you by his spirit, and we cooperate by allowing him to transform us, or to change and shape our character. So, question for you. When you think about Jesus, what is it about his personal life? What is it about the way he speaks, the way he acts, that you most admire? Think about that for a second. I don't mean gratitude for what he did at this point, but rather what about the personality of Jesus appeals to you most? I know for me, it was his complete heart for other people, being other-centered always. 
You know, I think one of my very favorite stories in Scripture tells of the time that he was entering a small town by the name of Nain, and he comes upon a funeral. And the funeral, Luke tells us, is the funeral of a widow. I'm sorry, a, a widow's son. Now, he tells us it's a widow, meaning that there's no husband to support her, and now her only son has died, the only other means of support. So this woman in that culture has no hope. This woman in that culture has no future. She might as well die herself. And you know, in Jesus' life, a lot of times we see him doing things because he's trying to teach a lesson and he's trying to show something. But in this instance, it moves me so much because it says Jesus is moved with compassion. He didn't set out to make an example of this woman. He just has a heart for hurting people. He is so moved by the situation that this woman is in that without being asked, without trying to teach something, he simply goes up to the burial place and commands the sun to rise. And he does. That's the heart of Jesus. That's what attracts me. That's the kind of character I want to see in my own life. And I got a long way to go, right, Amy? But see, that kind of character, Christian character, is formed in us, again, by the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit's at work in us, Scripture tells us that there are certain character traits that come to the surface that are very evident in our lives. And it's listed, of course, in Galatians 5 as the fruit of the Spirit, we call it. But understand, this is not an exhaustive list. But let's look at those. Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So which of those traits would you like to see yourself growing in right now? As you look over your life and you go, you know, I really could use some more of this. I want you to reflect on this statement. I would like my life to demonstrate more blank. And then what I want you to do on your card is I want you below where you said I must grow, I want you to write the word character. And after the word character, I would like you simply to write which of those words you would like to have more of in your life right now. It's a pop quiz. I don't want you to overthink it. Just right off the surface, what is it you'd like to see your life demonstrate more of? And then the question to follow, of course, is how will you make it happen? See, fruit has to be cultivated, right? You don't just walk out. Well, we do because we go to the grocery store. We sometimes forget how the whole process of getting food comes about. But fruit's cultivated, right? Seeds are planted, saplings and young trees are, are nourished and nurtured through the years, and eventually you get to the place where the fruit grows and then it has to be harvested. So it's the same thing in our own lives. So what does that look like? Well, it means we have to take advantage of the opportunities to learn from Jesus. Again, it means we open our Bibles and read, specifically concentrating in the Gospels. We go to Bible studies. We participate 
and practice being led by the Holy Spirit through prayer. And one of the ones that is really hard for us, again, is solitude, just sitting before the Lord, just being quiet and allow God. See, we ask God a lot, right? I need this, I want this, I would like this. But then do we ever hold the receiver up to let God speak back to us? That's what solitude does for us. That's what prayer can do for us as well. Secondly, creativity. What do I mean by that? Well, creativity, quite succinctly, is about sharing your gifts. Creativity, in the sense of spiritual growth or formation, is the intersection of passion and purpose. What you really get excited about doing in combination with what God created you to do. When those two meet, wow, you'll sense more life, more joy, more excitement in your spiritual walk than any other place. When your passions and God's purposes come together, that is like, whew. And that's what he wants for you. That's why it says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. See, using our gifts that God gives us is really about stewarding God's grace in its many forms. Peter says that elsewhere in his letters. Stewarding God's grace by using our gifts. So let me ask you this. What do you dream about doing? Not what do you have to do, not what are your responsibilities and duties, but what do you dream about doing? And is that dream about doing it for God, or is it about some other motivation? So reflect for a moment on this statement. I would like to honor God by... And then write on your card the word creativity, followed by what you would love to be doing right now for God. Not whether or not it's practical, not whether or not you think you can, but deep in your heart, what's your dream? What would you love to be doing right now for the kingdom of God? And then how can we make it happen? See, there's a process, and I think it's a pretty clear process, on how to grow in spiritual creativity. And I want to identify these for you. The first step is you have to identify your passion. That's what I'm trying to get you to think about this morning, at this point. But secondly, then you need to cultivate your gifts. You need to understand what it is you dream about, and begin to put in motion how that dream can come about. Thirdly, you apply your skills. You, you step out and you begin. You try. And then you step back and assess your impact. Once you've used your gift, you have to look back and say, was this really the best way to do it? Do I really see God in this? And then lastly, after you go through that process, you refine the vision and you begin the cycle all over again. What you're doing again is making yourself available to God. You're saying, Lord, I believe you've given me this to do. This is my passion. I believe there's a purpose. Help me go through this process. And again, we need somebody to coach us through this and we need somebody to cheer us on in this process and help facilitate your ministry because that's really what we're talking about. Because we all get discouraged, don't we? 
You ever want to quit something in your life? Yeah, I mean, let's be realistic. Well, this is the same thing. Because here's, here's another truth about spiritual growth. The more you desire this and the more you seek to put it into your life, guess who's going to come against you? The enemy of your souls, who Jesus says comes to steal, kill, and destroy, would like nothing better than to cut you off in your spiritual life from God. And so he'll discourage you, he'll distract you, he'll disappoint you, he'll do whatever he can to make you give up, to make you quit, to make you think, well, I'll just stay where I am, I'm okay. I know I'm going to heaven when I die, so it doesn't matter. Yes, it does. It matters greatly. Thirdly, let's talk about connection. What do I mean by connection? Simply this. Connection is about being family. Connection is the intersection of relationship and reconciliation. It means coming out of ourselves to enter into the lives of one another. Messy? Absolutely. Necessary? Absolutely. It's what we're called to do. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it, Paul writes to the Corinthian church. Let me say that again. All of us together are Christ's body, and each of us is a part of it. So we build relationships, and part of building relationships isn't just hanging out with the people we already like, the people who think like us and act like us and the ones we get along with. Christian relationship is about reconciliation. That's what God did for us through Jesus. While we were enemies, he died for us. Through forgiveness of our sins, he reconciles us to God. And he calls us to do the same. He calls us to break out of our comfort zones and build relationships with people who would not necessarily be on our radar. That's what makes Christianity beautiful to the world. Everybody that thinks alike and hangs out alike is more of a club or a social group, right? It's more an affinity group. The church is not an affinity group. The church is the body of Christ with him at the head, calling the shots, telling us what to do, encouraging and empower us so that we can achieve it for his glory. So let me ask you to reflect on this for a second. What compliment do your friends give you the most often? You say, I don't have any friends. Or if they do, they never compliment me. No, answer. Do you have friends? Good. What compliment do your friends give you most often? It's a great way to self-evaluate. If they're not giving you compliments, think about that. If you have trouble making friends, reflect on that too. Here's the statement I want you to answer. I tend to draw people by my. <laughs> I'd love to read your cards for this one. I tend to draw people, meaning I, people come close to me. I'm entering into relationships usually because of my. And then write on your card the word connection, followed by what you think your best relational quality is. See, the important underlining reason that I'm getting at here or thing that I'm getting at here is you cannot know Jesus until you know yourself. An honest assessment of yourself is necessary 
to enter into the depth of relationship that Jesus wants to have with you. Okay, you got that? So how can we make connection happen? Well, we have to practice being present. We have to practice not only physically being in someone's presence, but we have to be there engaging with people, listening to them, actually caring about them, hearing their hearts and being willing to share our hearts in response. On a practical level, it means active participation in the life of our church. Give yourselves a round of applause. You're here on Sunday morning because you understand the purpose and need to worship God together. So worshiping together, prayer meetings, worship times outside of Sunday, small groups, ministry and fellowship opportunities when we do outreaches, or just having fun, a Super Bowl party, show up, chilly or no chilly. The summer parties. Amy and I started coming in May to Generation Church. And I would tell you it's, it's a true statement to say that the reason we're here eight, nine months later, whatever it is, is because of the summer parties. Lots of churches have great worship. Lots of churches have good preaching. Not every church has good fellowship. And you can sit there and say, well, I didn't like it or this isn't my style. But what Peter's telling us when he says grow in grace and grow in our knowledge of Jesus is it isn't about what you like or don't like. Can I be blunt? It's about showing up. It's about being present. It's about engaging other people. See, we participate not simply because we like it, but because you have been given something by God to contribute you have something to offer, whether you believe it or not, that somebody else in this body of believers needs. Every single one of you. Seriously. See, being a contributor is much more meaningful than being a consumer. Consumers tend to never be satisfied. That's why advertising is so successful. They can always make you want something more. They can always promote something bigger and better that makes you go, hmm, I don't like what I have. But when you are a contributor, then you find meaning in your life and you find satisfaction. That's why Jesus tells us it is more blessed to what? Give than to receive, right? And so the call to connection is the call to give ourselves away just like Jesus did. To be vulnerable enough to do that because you understand that it's also valuable enough for your own life, but for the life of the church and the mission of Jesus Christ. So lastly, compassion. Compassion is simply about blessing other people. It is the intersection of need and neighbors. It's also about hurt and healing, but I think need and neighbors is really closer to what I wanted, that's the change that I needed to <laughs> tell you to put in there. So write needs and neighbors, or think need and neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself is the great commandment, right? After loving God. Well, what makes someone a good neighbor? Think about it for a second. Who's been a good neighbor to you? For me, for us, yesterday, Groundhog Day, was the 
eighth anniversary of the biggest blizzard we ever experienced when we were in Wisconsin. 24 inches of snow in 22 hours, and winds sustained at 40 miles an hour, and gusts up to 70. It was a blizzard. We didn't have a snowblower. Well, that's not true. We did have a snowblower. We had a little tiny snowblower, and it was in our garage. Guess where there was a six-foot mound of snow? Right in front of the garage. So we attacked it with our shovels. But you know what? All of our neighbors, with their big Wisconsin-style snowblowers, came by and did our front, started doing our driveway, and it was an 80-foot driveway. They neighbored us. They saw the need, and they met the need. All the extra effort that they didn't have to expend, all the time that they gave us that they didn't have to give us, they made a good neighborly connection so that they demonstrated compassion. And so reflect on this statement for a moment. I am most inspired to help someone who... Now, you might think, well, that's kind of reversed from what you're saying, but it really isn't, because if you think about it, the compassion that you have within you has a particular touch point, a particular entryway, right? There's, there's people that you would automatically, if that's the right term, desire to help. I see this on my Facebook page all the time with people regarding animals. There's a natural compassion for animals, right? God's calling us to have an even greater compassion for people. And the reason it's easier for animals than for people is because animals generally are likable. They don't let us down. They don't disappoint us, unless you have a cat. <laughs> people do. People seem like unworthy of our compassion, right? Do it anyway. So I am most inspired to help someone who, and then write the word compassion on your card, Followed by this, how do you most enjoy helping people? What brings you alive when you're giving rather than receiving? When you're helping people, what way is it that makes you most excited? And then how can we make that happen? Well, we learn the art of neighboring because it is an art. You have neighbors. Every one of us has neighbors. If I were to ask you how well you know your neighbors, that's a different question. I thank you all that expressed condolences for the passing of my mom last week, and we buried her on Tuesday and had a reception afterwards. And I was very, very privileged to grow up here in Bel Air over in Homestead Village, right on Linwood Avenue. And my parents moved out of there 30 years ago. But at that reception, most of the food was made by neighbors. See, we grew up, every house on the block was our parents. We could have gone in there, had dinner, we had Super Bowl parties, other times of the year, everybody got together. The art of neighboring was so clear to me, what it meant to really care about other people, really invest in other people. I'd like to tell you that I learned that lesson growing up, but it's a different world, it's a different time. Neighboring doesn't just happen, does it? We're all busy. We all have our two-car garages, so we never even really see each other unless there's snow that we have to plow or grass cutting. We have to learn the art of neighboring, which simply is this. Be others-focused. 
be others focused. Look for your good of your neighbor rather than just yourself. A couple of practical ways. First, pray for sensitivity to the needs around you. Pray that God would break the shell of me, me, my, and our so that the we and they come first to our minds. Secondly, have an awareness of what good is already being done. There's all kinds of organizations like Extreme Family Outreach that are already working in our community. Perhaps it's time to find a place to volunteer and participate in that kind of an activity. Third, make space for God to use you. What do I mean? Well, you've got to create room in your calendar and in your budget to give to other people in need. And then the last one is we need to inspire each other to do the same. It builds, doesn't it? Compassion has the greatest impact when the most people are participating. In the life of the church, if we really want to touch our community, we can go out there and, and stand on the corner and preach Jesus, Jesus, Jesus till the cows come home. But unless we're living like Jesus and showing the compassion of Jesus, people are going to drive right by us. But there are needs in this community. Even in solidly middle to upper class Bel Air, there is great need. And probably it lives somewhere a door or two down from you. And if we make ourselves available to God and that becomes a motivation in our lives, then compassion begins to rise up within us. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and to good works. So that should be something we do as a church, inspiring each other, motivating each other to acts of love and good works. So that's it. Character, creativity, connection, and compassion. If you're ready to take a step forward in your spiritual formation in these areas, I am here to help you. That is the role that Alex has allowed me to assume, and it is something that I'm excited about for us, for you, for me, for the church. And so, once again, my contact information, my email address is chris at thisgen.com. The phone number should be up there in the screen in a second. There it is, 410-652-1967. If you prefer to communicate by text or if you still call on the telephone, you can do that. By generation hotline, I simply mean this. This is an internal number. It's me and you. It's not to be given out to the general world unless I can help somebody that you're trying to help. But it's a dedicated cell phone line for ministry. And then please friend me on Facebook. If you're on Facebook, backslash Chris Ruer. It's another great way to connect. And plus, I just like to troll you and see what's going on in your lives. <laughs> so let me close with this. This morning... Right now, let me encourage you to dedicate yourselves to growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ this year, beginning today. And if you're ready to commit to that, what I'd like you to do is actually sign and date your card. I want you to make a promise to yourself to grow as a faithful follower of Jesus this year. That's all the signature and the date represents. And then I want you to do this. I'm not going to ask you to pass them forward. 
If you want to share your responses with me, then text me, Facebook message me, whatever, and I promise that I will begin to pray daily for you, for all of those categories. But what I want you to do with the card itself is I want you to display it somewhere prominently in your home. Mirror is always the best place. So that you will see it every single day and you will be reminded that God desires you to know him more deeply than you ever have and desires to see more and more grace pouring into your life and flowing out of your life, making him known, glorifying him by your character and your creativity and your connection and your compassion. Dallas Willard lastly says this. He says, only constant students of Jesus, which means only those who are true disciples, will be given adequate power to be God's person for their time and their place in this world. See, that's what God wants for you. He wants each of us individually, and he wants all of us as the church, as Generation Church, to be his person for this time and this place in the world. And so we have to be committed to it individually and we have to be committed to helping each other develop the life of spiritual power so that we can be a church of spiritual power, so that we can live out God's purposes for us in Bel Air and in our community in Hartford County and make this the place that his kingdom comes and his will is done, Harford County, as it is in heaven. If you agree with me, say yes. Your spiritual life is only going to be as vibrant as your relationship with Jesus. That's clear. So the most important question for you to answer is, who is God? Who do you hold God to be? What do you know about him? And so I'm going to give you an opportunity to grow in that. This book is called The Good and Beautiful God, and we're going to be starting a discussion group around this book, probably lasting somewhere between 10 and 12 sessions. And I won't read to you the, the back cover of the book that explains what it is, but I have a sign-up sheet over on the table that has the explanation. But it's really about coming to understand God and who he really is. Not who you think he is, not who somebody's told you he is, but who he really is. And we're going to run this discussion group from March through May. And we'll do it either on a Sunday morning before worship or we can pick a weekend or weeknight and do it in a small group format at somebody's home. But I want you to seriously consider it in light of what we've heard this morning. And if you're interested... Go and sign up on that sheet, and then I'll follow up with you once we decide the where and the when. I encourage you to do it. I encourage you to take the step. If there's more than one group, we'll do more than one group so that it can be as convenient for you as possible. But it's where spiritual growth, all what begins, is your picture of God, having the correct picture. Stand with me, if you will, as we close. The series Perfectly One, again, is all about us becoming united. And Alex started it off by telling us we need to pray together. So we're going to put up our prayer for unity that we used last week. And say it with me. 
as we close. Almighty Father, whose blessed Son, before his passion, prayed for his disciples that they may be one, even as you and he are one. Grant that your church, being bound together in love and obedience to you, may be united in one body by the one Spirit, that the world may believe in him whom you have sent, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. We'll see you next week.